the one and only Cliff Richard and the Shadow. Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome to episode 30 of the We Say Yeah podcast, a monthly unofficial Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast where we review and discuss every single EP and LP in mostly chronological order. Now, in what's become something of a tradition for this podcast, this is our annual Christmas episode featuring returning guest Mark Cunningham. We'll be discussing all of the major events from the past few months, including the Blue Sapphire Tour, Cliff's new book, A Head Full of Music, and the new CD, Cliff with Strings, My Kind of Life. Plus... Finally, I'll give you all the details on my trip to the UK. It was the winter holiday that almost didn't happen. But first, let's begin with a roundup of reactions from our previous two episodes. We received two reviews on Apple Podcasts, which, by the way, are the kinds of reviews that come in very handy when attracting new listeners to the show. So if you haven't left a preferably four or five star review, up to you, Uh, please do so. Rockabilly99 writes, Listen, I know what I'm talking about regarding Cliff and the Shadows. This show tells me nothing I don't already know. However, it is a thrill hearing you guys talking about a subject that I absolutely love. Keep up the great work. This is something I wish I had done myself. You know, the way that review started off, I was getting a little worried, but I'm glad it (laughs) it made a turn there at the end. That was a great five-star review. Thanks for that. Teen TomTom writes, Highly entertaining and informative fan podcast series dedicated to the recorded work of music legends Cliff Richard and the Shadows. The podcast features great guests that really bring something special to the program, be they experts who really know Cliff and the Shad's catalogs inside out, or fans of other artists being asked to listen for the first time. You know what? That is the best description of this podcast that anyone's ever come up with, including me. So I feel like I should almost use that as a, a tag for the show. That That is literally what the show is about. So thank you so much for those uh, two five-star reviews over on Apple Podcasts. Now, as you may recall, last month I asked if you all knew of any Cliff and or Shadows-related novelty or tribute songs. I had found two and was assuming that maybe, you know, there were a few more, just a handful. Well, as it turns out, there were a lot more. There are enough songs that mention Cliff and the Shadows, either they be tributes or novelty songs, to fill up a CD. So what we're going to do is just spotlight a few this month, and then we'll do a few more on next month's episode. Over on our Facebook page, which is called We Say Yeah, and hopefully you like the page and follow it, Kylie Marie Moramellons writes, Hello, just wanted to say a huge thank you for these wonderful podcasts. I have binged every one of them so far. Looking forward to hearing about your trip to England. You're going to hear it on this episode. Thank you so much for that. Here is another Cliff-themed song by a great band from Sweden. They're called Black Knights, and this is Let's Move It Again. On top of the rock and roll scene In the other days when he was a young one I'd love a million chains I gotta know if there's no turning back Cause the crowd is mad about you 
Bernard O'Hara writes this song from Richard Thompson, mentions the Shads, and features a couple of nice snippets. Here's Richard Thompson with Guitar Heroes. But I'm still searching for a musical solution. I've got to know how the shadows get that beat. Phil Goodwin sent me an email at we say yeah podcast at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear from all of you at that uh, email address. And Phil told me about a song by Jim Bainbridge called Why Don't You Look Like Cliff Richard. And this little girl started singing When a poor daddy came through the door Why don't you look like Cliff Richard Lean, light, and coiled like a spring you're the same age as Cliff Richard And Daddy, you can't even sing Shadows expert and contributor Jim Nugent wrote us about another record from 1963 by the original Checkmates. He writes the group had now parted from Emil Ford and featured Alan Hawkshaw on keys, Peter Carter on guitar, and George Ford on bass, all three of whom would at one time or another play as onstage members of The Shadows. Well, in early 1963, they released a single, a flopperoo in the Beatles era, called You Gotta Have a Gimmick. It was sort of the Baron Nights before the Baron Nights, with skit versions of various recent late 1961 or 1962 hit records. And I think you guys will recognize this one. Now here's four guys who deserve a big hand for their fabulous recording of Wonderful Land. Could I do it again, Floyd? Again? Again? And lastly, Marion Scott mentioned that Argent's song, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, mentions Cliff Richard and Please Don't Tease. Again, as I mentioned, there are plenty more where that came from, and we'll hear some more on next month's episode. All right, before we get to our conversation with Mark Cunningham, I thought I'd give you the lowdown on my trip to the UK. It was a trip fraught with intrigue right from the start. All of that chaos regarding the passport that was printed incorrectly. Would I get it in time? Well, I did get it in time. So I left on the Monday morning, the 6th of November, from Newark Liberty International Airport to Heathrow. And one of the reasons why my tickets were relatively cheap (laughs) is because my first day in the UK was pretty much all traveling. So by the time I arrived in London, it was 7.30 at night. So I really didn't get to see much of anything. It was still very exciting. And the very first thing I did upon arriving at the airport was lose my credit card. It fell out of my wallet, 
and uh, I had to call the credit card company in a panic. Not an auspicious uh, start to the trip. Anyway, uh, I get to the hotel, which was the Holiday Inn Express in Earl's Court. I chose that particular hotel because of its relative closeness to the Eventim Apollo, and also because there was a complimentary breakfast. And I figured if I can get a free meal out of this every single day, I might as well take advantage of it. So on the ride from the taxi from Heathrow to the uh, the hotel, I really didn't get to see much of anything. You know, I was just looking out the window, and I said to myself, am I still in Newark, New Jersey? Because everything looked pretty much the same, you know, in the dark. When I wake up Tuesday morning, I have jet lag like you wouldn't believe. However, at great expense, I had paid for a train ticket up to Liverpool. I should explain Certainly when I was a teenager and into my early 20s, my whole life revolved around the Beatles. It's really not that way anymore. I've kind of moved on to other music. Obviously, I'm hosting this podcast and not a Beatles podcast. But in tribute to my 14-year-old self, I felt like I should at least go to Liverpool and see the sights, do a tour. But boy, I I felt like I was hungover, but it was really jet lag. So I hopped in a taxi first thing in the morning. I chose uh, to travel by Uber and taxi for the most part because I could at least see some of the city as I was, you know, being shuttled back and forth. And I get to Houston Station. I have to say I was glad to take the train because it gave me a chance to see more of England than just London. And as I was looking out the window and just staring off into the distance, I thought to myself, I've never seen so many sheep in my life. Every, everywhere I went, it was just, we, we were passing just fields and fields and yards of sheep everywhere. And in the U.S., it would be cows you'd see everywhere, but it was just sheep everywhere. Anyway, so I get to Liverpool, Lime Street Station. I had read so many books about the Beatles, and I was so steeped in Beatle lore that I kind of felt like I had already been to Liverpool because I've I've just so immersed in that stuff. And I immediately went to Matthew Street to check out the cavern. And also, I really wanted to visit Rogue Best's Beatles Museum, which is across the street from the Cavern Club. I think it's called the Liverpool Beatles Museum, if that's the official title. Wonderful, wonderful exhibits in there. If you haven't gone... It's really worth it because, obviously, as Pete Best's brother, he's going to have access to all sorts of memorabilia that you would not see in any other museum. I mean, the original sign from the Casbah. There's John Lennon's harmonica. I mean, it was incredible. And I only had about an hour to spend there, and I really wish I had spent more time because I had booked a bus tour through Liverpool. It was one of those hop-on, hop-off tours. You know, you get out at Paul McCartney's boyhood home. You get out at Strawberry Field and take a photo. I had been going nonstop, really, since Monday morning, and I was getting a little tired. And there were these two sisters who were sitting not next to each other, but across from each other, and one of them was sitting next to me on my seat on the bus. And she was a very sweet girl, and she was saying things like, um, isn't it great that here we are in Liverpool and the Beatles have a new song? I mean, she was very enthusiastic. It was very charming. And, you know, after a couple of times getting off the bus, like I said, I was kind of tired. We were stopping at George Harrison's boyhood home, 
and I said, you know what, you go, you know, take a photo and come back and show me. I, I think I'm, I've had enough of getting off and on the bus. And she said to me, one of the wisest things anyone that young has ever said to me, she said, you traveled 3,000 miles and you're not going to get off the bus <laughs> to look at George Harrison's house? I said, all right, you're right. You're absolutely right. All right, I'm going, I'm going. So I did get off at every stop. She said, I'm going to make sure you get off at every stop. I have to say, I loved Liverpool. It reminded me so much of home, really. It was another one of those, hey, this reminds me of New Jersey, but everything's really nicer and a little magical, just a little magical. I take the train back to London. I wake up the next morning. I get that complimentary breakfast, very, very important. And it's the day of the concert, Cliff's concert at the Eventim Apollo. Very excited about that, but I do have some time during the day. So I had already booked a uh, afternoon sightseeing tour on a double-decker bus and it was pouring I mean it was pouring rain you really couldn't see anything out the window but it was very pleasant we were driving around listening to Christmas music and I did get to see all of the big sights you know I really wanted to do at least for one of the days I was there I was only there for five days I wanted to do the very touristy thing and see all of the sights and there were some ladies who were sitting in front of me and I noticed one of them had a Cliff Richard t-shirt on. So I struck up a conversation about the concert. They had gone the night before. We had a great chat. Now I still had some time left to kill, so I decided to visit the largest water stones in London, in Piccadilly. I wanted to get Cliff's book, A Head Full of Music, and I could have bought a number of books while I was there and spent the entire day in the store. Now it was back to the hotel to change, and I was going to meet up with superfan Jan Eastaw, and by the way, my undying thanks to a lady named Lynette, who lives in Singapore. Thank you so much for assisting with the seating arrangements. I really uh, appreciate that. And the traffic was so bad that I kept her waiting for like 45 minutes. Any anyway, I get there. Uh, we meet up. We also meet some uh, lovely ladies outside the venue. I felt like I was living in Paul Westwood's play. <laughs> um, Margaret and Linda, who were very, very nice. And I was also interviewed by Dagmar from Cliff Richard Radio during the intermission of the concert. So that was a big thrill to meet her and be on Cliff Richard Radio. The Cliff Show was wonderful. You'll hear more about it in the conversation with Mark Cunningham. But great concert. Had a lot of fun. Thursday rolls around. I get up, have that complimentary breakfast, and then I decide I have to visit the site of the former Two Eyes Coffee Bar, which is now a fish and chip shop in Soho. I'm in a taxi again. I head over to that place, and I couldn't resist. I was taking photos from outside, but I said, I have to go inside. I, it's so historic. I have to go inside. So I open the door. The waiter says, can I help you? And I put my hands up, and I say, I, I traveled 3,000 miles from America. This is a very important place. Can I take some photos? And he said, yeah, sure. So I took some great photos of what used to be the Two Eyes Coffee Bar, not to knock the people who run it now. I mean, they were very polite to me, but I kind of feel like that should be a museum or something because it's just such an important landmark. After that, I met up with Jim Nugent, who I just referenced, and uh, we had a great time walking around, chatting, went to a pub. I watched the weather change four times in the span of 45 minutes as we were sitting there. Just had a great chat. You know, it was like we'd known each other all our lives. Then... I check my messages, and I am finally going to meet up with Bruce Welch. If you remember, when Bruce was on the show, he had said, hey, if you're ever in London, 
Look me up and we'll get together. And, you know, when people say things like that, built into that is maybe an expectation that you're never going to be (laughs) there. And so they don't actually have to meet you. And Bruce, to his credit, was a man of his word. And we got together in Chelsea and went to dinner. Uh, It was just a great time. It was like an extension of the interview that we had on the show. And uh, we talked about so many things like the Beatles. And we also talked about that event, that concert that was on a rotating stage. And I wanted to find out if it was true that when the stage was rotating, boys in the audience were throwing stuff at uh, the group and they just rotated right off. If you've heard that story, you know what I'm talking about. And it was true. Wonderful time chatting with Bruce the next day. I want to visit some more bookstores while I'm in London. Very important. And I get that done. And then I also meet up with my friend Anthony Rattuno, who hosts the Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast. And we did a walking tour of Beatles-related sites in London. We visited the site of the former Apple building. Uh, We visited Brian Epstein's uh, London apartment. We didn't go inside, just from the outside. Uh, Abbey Road Studios and the famous Crossing. Uh, Where else did we go? We walked around a lot. John Lennon's apartment that became Ringo's apartment. Uh, We had a great time chatting. We stopped at Taco Bell, and Anthony had the worst concoction ever. I don't know what it (laughs) was. what it was <laughs> but that was uh, kind of humorous Anthony I, I mean I've known him and we've been on each other's shows and stuff numerous times so that was a great opportunity to meet up with him and, and again it was like we always hung out or something then and now I was leaving for New York the next morning but then I had tickets to see Marty Wilde and the Wildcats at Witham Public Hall and that's like an hour and a half or so drive outside of London. But I have to tell you, I was so wiped out from everything I did in those four days that I just I just didn't have the energy to do it. And I feel terrible about that. I feel awful. That was my opportunity to see Marty Wilde. I was going to see Cliff and Marty Wilde. It was like the ultimate London rock and roll experience this vacation. I'll never get over that. I am never going to get over that, that I had a ticket to see Marty Wilde and I was too tired to go. So instead, I walk back to the hotel to pack up, to get ready to leave the next morning. And as I'm walking through Earl's Court, it's dusk. There are families out everywhere. I mean, the weather was still relatively warm. I was so comfortable in London because it reminded me so much of New York City except it was just a little nicer. Everything was just a little nicer. And as I was walking through those streets and it was dusk and it was there was just something about Earl's Court at dusk and I just thought, this is just so beautiful. And I said, I have to come back at some point. It's going to take me a while to pay off this vacation, so maybe in two years or so. But yeah, I went back to the hotel, got up the next morning, Hop the flight back to the USA, and that was my London trip. I didn't think I was going to be talking for all of that length of time, but uh, I'm glad you stuck with me if you did. Or maybe you just fast-forwarded to this part. This is where we bring in Mark Cunningham. You know, I mentioned the traffic on the night that I went to see Cliff. Mark had a similar travel nightmare when he went to see Cliff.
absolute disaster. We set off. We, we our our flight was from Dublin to Manchester because we don't do direct flights to Blackpool from Dublin. We used to. I don't know why they 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 stopped it, but um, Ryanair used to fly from Dublin. To, so I've been a couple of times in the early two thousands. So I haven't been back since. And this is my first trip back, and it's my wife's first trip to Blackpool. So I wanted to impress her with Blackpool because I told her it's oh, it's amazing. It's, it feels like you're in the '60s and all this kind of stuff, and the boardwalks, and you go down the pier and everything, and it's it's fantastic. It wasn't fantastic. <laughs> the plane was delayed. I was in a panic. I think it, it, I was thinking if everything is delayed, now we're going to miss the show. We got to Manchester. We had to wait an hour then before the train from Manchester to Blackpool, which is an hour and a half. And then we got there. You remember the weather was absolutely terrible. It was that rain, the, the strong wind just blown into your face. And then we had to find our hotel. We had about two hours then to check into the hotel and get something to eat before the cliff show. And I have to say, my my wife is eight months pregnant at the moment as well. So it's not... Oh my goodness. It wasn't a very pleasant trip for her at all. But thank God we, we made it to the show. And um, I have to say that made up for everything because I thought the show was absolutely fantastic. I don't think I was expecting the concert... I was expecting it to be good, but I didn't think it would rate alongside any of the tours before because I've heard that he was going to do these interviews. He was only going to sing his 14 number ones. And I knew he puts on a good show and I knew he was going to sing his heart out with them 14 number ones. But um, I absolutely loved the show from start to finish, including the interviews. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. I've seen um, a couple of his gospel shows back in the 90s and he used to do that anyway. He used to do a couple of songs and then Bill Latham, his friend, used to come out and interview him about Christianity and then he'd do a few more songs and then Bill would come back out and interview him again. So it was pretty much the same kind of thing he did this time around. Um, I don't know, who who did you have for the interview section? It was Tim Rice when I saw him. Oh, fantastic. Because, you know, Tim Rice, like uh, he'd done a fantastic interview with Cliff that's available on CD. And I think it's the best interview yes. that Cliff has ever given um, because it's all about the music. And when Cliff is interviewed, they very rarely interview him about his music. It's always about um, tennis or his, or his religious beliefs or um, how he look fantastic. Or they, they, right, right. they, they, don't, they don't do research. But the fact that Tim Rice is a big Cliff and the Shadows fan and um, he knows all about the music. So that interview, I highly recommend that to any Cliff fans. I, I think it's from about 1990. Are you aware of the interview, yeah? Yes. It's a radio interview. Like, it got my attention straight away because the first line that, um, or the first question he asked, when you were recording Me and My Shadow. So I was right into this right. Uh, this interview. And he keeps on going back to that album as well, Me and My Shadows, which is an absolute classic uh, Cliff and the Shadows album. So, uh, yeah, you're very lucky to have Tim there who was obviously a big Cliff and the Shadows fan. Yeah, I liked the interview portion a lot. And there was some dust up on the internet. People were saying, oh, you know, it's going to be an interview. I didn't pay for an interview. I I thought, first of all, you know, Cliff did a full show. He did. This was like a bonus. That's the way I thought of it afterwards, yeah. He'd done every song that you'd, you're a non-Cliff fan, Um, he'd done every song that you'd want Cliff to sing, he sang. 
You know, like us as fans, we wanted them to sing a couple of album tracks. Maybe he has a song in 20 odd years, which he did on the last tour, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. He done songs like Lost in a Lonely World and Marmaduke and all these songs that he hadn't performed in years. I knew we weren't going to get that this time. But as just an ornery Cliff fan, I think they got everything right that they could expect from a concert well from my perspective so here i am coming all the way from the usa having never seen cliff in concert at all it was perfect you know here he is playing all of his number ones in mostly chronological order you know so it starts off pretty much yeah yeah. then you forget about the next time and that's thrown in at the end which i thought so I thought it was one of the highlights of the show. It was absolutely beautiful at the end. Yeah, I thought the concert was great. The show that I went to that whole week, Cliff was essentially wearing the exact same stuff every single day because they were filming it for the release in cinemas. And then I guess that's the version that's coming out on DVD. The night that I went, I think that they were getting coverage of stuff that they didn't get the previous night. So the cameras weren't out all the time. They were just at certain moments. Okay. And and of course, they shoot a lot for the, the bonus material as well, don't they? Right. Now, people have asked, and I've seen the question put on Facebook, certainly, do you think Cliff is going to do another tour like this? I thought you were going to say, do you think he was miming? Because that's a question that's come up on the Facebook page that I've had um, dozens and dozens of times. Are we we going to address that? Well, (laughs) I noticed there were two instances where the cameras had come out. And I thought, okay, it's understandable. He's filming a DVD and he has to match the performance from the night before. Yeah. Cliff explained what he actually did. A couple of years ago in an interview, and I wish I could find it that I could share with people. Um, he does sing live, but he has pre-recorded the songs. So if he's struggling, he will press a button on the microphone and that will take over for a couple of seconds of the song. And then he clicks it off and then it goes back to live again. Now, that is positive. I've checked that out, and that is a thing that a lot of artists do. So um, I, do, I, I don't know whether that's what he was doing this time around, but I know that he has said that in the past, that that's what, what they do. Sure. And there was another controversy online, too. People were commenting on the fact that Cliff brought out the lyrics to Ocean Deep to help him get through the song. Uh, you know, some people said that was a joke. He was making a joke about being old or yeah. something. but Which I couldn't understand it either because he sang that in most of the previous tours and he's never needed the lyrics. But even by Blackpool, I know that was one of the last shows, um, even though the lyrics came out, I noticed while I was watching it, he did look at them. He, I, I think he, he probably knew them by that stage after doing them the last few nights. But we have to remember, he's 83 years old. Exactly. And I've seen... You know, a lot of performers that have been around for a long time, like Paul McCartney, for example, right. he uses a teleprompter. And and you would think yeah. to yourself, why would Paul McCartney, who's sung these songs hundreds and hundreds of times, why would he use a teleprompter? And he gave an interview about it a couple of years ago, and he said that sometimes when he's singing a song like Hey Jude... Because he's sung it so many times, it becomes more like muscle memory. Yeah. And he might be, in one part of his mind, thinking about what he's going to do after the show later and then snap back and realize he's singing a song and forget where he is. So it's understandable. 
Cliff, Cliff said that in, in interviews as well. He said it in live shows as well. That it's the songs that you sing all the time are the ones that you tend to forget. I remember he, he during the hit list tour, he was doing Dreaming and he missed the start of the song. He was singing it live and then he explained, he got the band to play it again and he got it. But he was saying because the intro to Dreaming is so long, he was thinking about what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Because he used to get a meal after the show. And um, by the time it was his cue to start singing, he forgot the, what the first lyrics were. So he started again. Right. That was the concert. And there was a great new song, by the way, which I hope is released yeah. in some form uh, called Blue Sapphire. And I do want to mention that I met some great people at the uh, at the concert. One of them was Jan Eastaw. She gifted me with a Cliff Richard North American Tour satin jacket from 1981. I hear it. Yeah, I've seen the photos. <laughs> yeah, this thing is so cool that it's prompted me to go on a diet because right now <laughs> there's no way I could ever fit into that jacket. So it's good motivation. Anyway, let's move on to talking about the... Uh, oh, yes, and I did... Uh, the next night actually is when I had dinner with Bruce Welch, which was, oh, which, was yeah. which was great. It was like a continuation of the interview that we did. You've lived one of my dreams. <laughs> and you know what was strange? I'll tell you something. So two tables down from us was Bill Wyman of the Rolling Stones was sitting and having lunch with or dinner with his wow. with his family. <laughs> and I noticed that what a restaurant is this? <laughs> it was someplace in Chelsea and and um Okay. And I was looking over at him. Bill, Bill, right, of course. I said, oh, wait a minute, that's Bill Wyman. I looked over. I didn't want to be conspicuous, you know. And then he was looking over in my direction. And I thought, why is he looking over at me? And then I'm like, oh, I'm so stupid. He's looking at Bruce Welch. Of course, yeah. Right. <laughs> He's probably going, hey, that's Bruce Welch down the other end of the... Uh, so let's talk... That's the concert done. So let's talk about the new book... A Head Full of Music, which I read mainly on the plane coming back to America. I loved this book. I loved Cliff's last memoir, The Dreamer. This is different, though. This is just Cliff talking about music. This is Cliff Richard, the record collector. Yeah, I still haven't finished it. That's one of my regrets. I should have brought it when I was traveling to the Blackbill show. I think I said that about 100 times. Like, I wish yeah, I you, you had plenty of time, right? <laughs> but I, I have read sections of it. Because it's one of them books you can kind of, you can look at one of the last chapters before you can keep on going back and forth. You don't have to read it from start to finish. Um, mm. So I went, I went, I went straight into the the bit about the Bee Gees. I absolutely love Barry Gibb to do a whole album with Cliff. That was the first one I read. Was one of the last chapters. I went straight to the Bee Gees, and I found that he, he's just as big a fan as as I am. Of I, I found that with a lot of these artists that Cliff is talking about, that I'm actually fans of all these artists as well. I don't know whether it's it, Cliff's music has influenced me to like this type of music, but I don't think there's any songs he mentions that I don't like as well. What was interesting to me is that here's a book by Cliff Richard. He's got a chapter on Clyde McFadder. He's got yeah. a chapter about Sammy Turner. I mean, he's got a chapter on the Kalen twins. It's probably the only place where you're going to read that much about the Kalen twins. Yeah. And yeah. I'd say 75% of the content in the book is late 50s, early 60s rock and rollers. Yeah, his influences. And I, I think a lot of these songs did shape Cliff's recordings as well. He, he did record a lot of these songs 
himself. He never did a cover of People Get Ready, but I think he did covers of most of the other songs that he mentions. The Sammy Turner one he's done a couple of times. The song Always. I'll be loving you Now, this might be a little crazy for me to say, but I kind of feel like this particular book has the potential to appeal to an American audience, too, because most of the stuff he's talking about are American rock and roll records. Most of them, anyway. Yeah, yeah most of them. And, and, I, and I kind of feel, with the exception he talks about Marty Wilde, uh, yeah, Marty, Marty Wilde's version of A Teenager in Love. Hey, it's great that Marty Wilde gets a chapter in the book. Yeah, I love the guitar on that. Um, by uh, Big Jim Sullivan. I love that guitar, which wasn't on the Dion version. Yeah, but I think I prefer Marty's version as well, to be honest. Each time we have a quarrel, it almost breaks my heart. Cause I am so afraid that we will have to part. Each night I ask the stars up above, why must I be a teenager in love? I hope if the book ever comes into paperback edition, I hope that they change the cover, though. I mean, it's a nice photo of Cliff on the cover, but it doesn't really tell you about what the book is. If they put, like, a 1959-ish photo of Cliff and then maybe surrounded by photos of the performers he's talking about yeah, or, the, or the records or something, I think it would have a lot more appeal. I think actually. Bob Dylan did a book very similar. Yes! Yes, it's so funny you mentioned that because I had just read Bob Dylan's book called The Philosophy of Modern Song, which is just him talking about his favorite songs. And now Cliff has a book that's pretty similar. Very similar. The the cover of his is, I can't think what the cover is. It's not of him. I think it's of Little Richard, actually. Most people that come from that generation, that that age group, they're all in their early 80s now. They all were influenced by the same people like Elvis and the Everly Brothers and Ricky Nelson and Jerry Lee and Little Richard. Yeah, they were listening to the same records. It's it's probably the only thing that Bob Dylan and Cliff Richard have in common. After that, they diverge. <laughs> so let's talk about the album, Cliff yeah. with Strings. Here's what's funny, Mark. So it was a couple of years ago that I had said, when we were talking about our predictions, you know, and things we could see, I had said, hey, you know, what about a new Christmas album? And then sure enough, we got a new Christmas album. Then last year, you had said, hey, why don't we have uh, an album with an orchestra? Why don't we have an album with strings? We got that taster <laughs> on Rise Up. And then lo and behold, here it comes, Cliff with Strings. Now, I'm not suggesting 
that Cliff is listening to this podcast and deciding what he's going to do. I think our suggestions are very plausible and very logical. Yeah. But you must have been thrilled when this album came out. I was. I was very excited for that. The first week I gave it a 10 out of 10 on my Facebook page. I absolutely loved it. But I found over the last couple of weeks, I'm not listening to it as much as I would normally listen to a new Cliff album. And I don't know why that is. I'm not saying I'm gone off it. But um, on Spotify, you can kind of make your own playlist. I think I only picked four off that album and put showed them into the, my playlist of favorite clip songs. Well, I wonder if it's because there's nothing really new here. I mean, we know all of these songs already. These are just different arrangements. It's funny. It's called Cliff with Strings, but it really could be called Cliff Stripped Down Acoustic with Strings because it seems like a lot of the songs are reimagined that way. What would be... Uh, well, give me some of your favorites. Um, I, I think I'm torn between two, and it's the first two tracks. The best of me, I think, absolutely sounds beautiful. It does. What year did the original come out? Uh, 1989. It was his 100 single in 1989. Yeah. And it was written by Richard Marks, right? Richard Marks and the fantastic, legendary songwriter, uh, David Foster. During that time, during the 80s, you know, I was a teenager, and I used to listen to a lot of those kind of songs, those sort of tinkly keyboard love songs, a la Peter Cetera, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. And I would listen to them and sort of daydream about a girl in school and go, oh, one day this will be our song, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so I have an affection for that kind of production and songs that sound like that. However, I thought this version really took this song to a different place. So many years gone Still I remember How did I ever let my heart believe In one who never gave enough to me I'd probably say it's my favorite one on the album. I know a lot of people like the Brian Adams cover. Um, I put a poll up on my Facebook page and they voted the, the Brian Adams one as their favorite. But I think the best of me, I think, is my favorite on, on, the, on the whole album. Yeah, it's really become my preferred version. What's your other one that was vying for the number one spot? Um, yeah, the second song on the album, Carrie, I think it's totally different. It's a it's, real haunting. I, I, I love the strings on it. Now, I'm not saying I prefer it to the original. But I, I loved what they did with it. Sorry to disturb you But I was in the neighborhood It's about a friend of a picture Could you take a look? Oh, I appreciate your business So mine's unusual. My next is unusual. And it's the version of Living Doll, the jazzy version of Living Doll. It it almost made it sound like a standard. It was a great way to hear. I mean, I've heard Living Doll so many times. So many times. And this was a way to appreciate it in a totally different context. Yeah. Myself a crying, talking, sleeping, walking, living dog. 
To do my best to please her Just cause she's a living dog I got a roving eye And that is why she satisfies my soul I thought with the, the jazz version of Living Doll and Summer Holiday, um, they have Christmas feel about them. Yes. <laughs> I, like Christmas. Especially, especially summer, summer holiday. holiday. Right, exactly. I thought he should just swap out the word summer and throw in the word Christmas, yeah. and you could have released that as a Christmas single. We're all going on yeah, a Christmas. Yeah, it sounds like a Christmas song. Maybe it's because the, it's the same arranger who did the Christmas album. Oh, right? maybe yeah, the same <laughs> yeah, that'll explain it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, the uh, the version of my kind of life I really like on this too. Yeah, yeah. It's well, got kind of a country well, rockabilly feel. Isn't it? Doesn't it? Like if you heard, if you just heard the opening bars, you'd swear this is a Garth Brooks song. My guitar in the early, early morning and go down to the fields and play. Setting down there and the long grass strumming, I can see the people from miles around coming. I love the version of Carrie, as I said, and my kind and um, Marmaduke is another one we need to discuss as well because I have an issue with that one. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I have one issue with Marmaduke. Uh, yeah, in the original Marmaduke. Well, first of all, Cliff has said in interviews that the last tour was the first time he performed it, which is wrong. Cliff, Cliff can get things wrong. Yeah, he sang true. it in the first concert I ever went to see him in in 1988, and it was highlighted at the show. Absolutely fantastic. And um, the original B side, it was the original B side to Mistletoe Wine, and the original B side, the end of the track. One of my favorite bits is when. The whole band cuts out and it goes into a little guitar of the the intro again. And that's where the song finishes on the new album. Mm. And I'm still singing away and it goes into the next song. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know whether you noticed that, did you? I didn't really. But then again, I'm not, you know, the version of Marmaduke that I'm most familiar with is actually the live version from the last tour. (laughs) Yeah, but he did it on the live version. He did this. Oh, okay. He was true to the original B-side. He did. There's a little bit at the end um, where he's doing the choo-choo train and then he goes, take it away. And then it plays a little guitar thing and then it goes back into um, Marmaduke, where's your brother Luke? Um, but I'm waiting for that guitar bit and it just stops and it's into the next song on the new album. That's my only <laughs> um, issue with that. Um, so I still prefer the original Marmaduke, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, you know, whenever they have these kind of albums where they reimagine songs, I mean, they've done it with Elvis and Aretha Franklin and uh, Johnny Cash and whatever, so now it's Cliff. You yeah. know, you still have the original, anybody can go back to that, but then you have this, yeah. yeah. That's, it. that's it, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You can then just enjoy them and then go back to the original if you, if you prefer the originals, yeah. Are there any other songs on the album you want to mention? Um, the Brian Adams cover. 
maybe that it seems to be everybody's favorite yeah everything i do i do for you i mean it's a technical achievement that they were able to take a live vocal and build a track around it to make it sound like a studio recording but i just would prefer to listen to the live version well the live version features a stunning guitar solo by hank marvin so it's kind of unforgivable that they dropped that Very quickly, as we start to wrap up, there's not much in terms of new music that's Shadows related, with the exception of this new Foolin' with the Feds CD, Hank Marvin's Gypsy Jazz, which I think is out already in Australia, or if you went to the gig, uh, you could get the CD, and there's ordering options now. should probably be just as hard to get as the last gypsy <laughs> so i remember i had a terrible time trying to get that i i finally got it um i think leo's den is a fantastic place to get any cliff in the shadows i've said it before and um, that's probably the best site uh leo's den to or to any rare kind of cliff or shadows related uh, merchandise cds dvds well i went ahead and filled out that pre-order form from center stage recording studios I, I haven't heard anything back yet it might be a little early in the game but that order form is still up on facebook if you go to uh center stage recording studios on facebook and uh you can you can order it so uh we should mention it's nunzio mandia and gary taylor along with hank marvin that's uh, right. Hank Marvin's Gypsy Jazz, fooling with the feds. I know having it shipped to the U.S. is going to be uh, exorbitant, but, you know, this has been a year where I'm just throwing money at all sorts of things, so why not, you know? Exactly. Um, I'm happy to get it. I, I love those recordings. First of all, I love Django Reinhardt or music of that style, and I love uh, hearing Hank play it because, you know, the – the joy that he gets out of that music, you can hear it. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. I wish I had had it by now, but maybe I'll have it by Christmas. Who knows? So looking ahead, now we're, we're doing pretty well here. You know, we asked for a Christmas album. We got it. We asked for an album with strings. We got it. I think the only thing left is your idea of an acoustic Cliff in the Shadows uh, album. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't know. Cliff has said in a lot of the recent interviews that he's not going to retire, but he's going to uh, stop every now and again. And then if he sees a green light, he's going to go again. He, he used that kind of terms. But um, I'm not sure whether we'll get anything. But having said that, um, we did predict this album last year, but 
I don't think I was expecting it. So an unplugged album would be still probably top of my list. They could all record in their various parts of the world. Um, I think it'd be a, a big seller. And um, also, I, I mentioned last year about getting all the Christmas songs onto one compilation. Oh, like, yes, yes. To this compilation of all Cliff's Christmas songs. Um, I think that'd be a, that'd be a big seller as well. You remember the, the album went to number two last year, only to be beaten yeah. up Stormzy. Um, I think this album this year reached, I think it peaked at four or five. Yes. But clearly... The Christmas albums do well, so I would cash in on that if I was Cliff, and I think it'd be fantastic for the fans to have all the Christmas songs on um, one package. Yeah, my prediction for next year, I think we're going to get some kind of a compilation again. Right. Whether it's going to be... I, I love the idea of having all of the Christmas... I mean, you could put it on two or three CDs, tops. Yeah. Cliff's Ultimate Christmas collection having it all there exactly yeah. Yeah. um that would be good i just feel like these compilations every two years we get them yeah 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 and he's, he's talked about his dream album would be to re- release some of the kind of soulful stuff he'd done in the 70s and 80s that's, i think that he said that when he was introducing this well not introducing but doing the the songs from previous albums on the last tour the uh, stuff like lost in the lonely world from the what album stuff, but Wire for Sound album and um, Heart Will Break from one of my favorite albums, I'm Not a Hero. I don't think it would sell well, but that's the only problem with that because I think people need to to see the living dolls and that we don't talk anymore as for them to sell. Yeah, as a diehard fan, I'd love to see an album like that, but I, I don't think it would sell well. When was the last time Cliff had a live album? Just recently on Spotify, the 60th anniversary tour went on to Spotify um, only a few weeks ago. There should be a physical release of that. How about on vinyl or a CD? The Wanted Tour was released on CD, but I don't think it was an official release. Like, it wasn't. Right. Uh, yeah, it didn't get the publicity like a normal album. I don't think he promoted it at all. Like, But it was released on CD, which is even like, my favorite. Even this past tour with all of the hits yeah. would fit the bill. My thanks once again to Mark Cunningham for appearing on the show. I think we've got some more good ideas for 2024. We'll see what happens. And you can follow him on his various social media platforms. The biggest group I think he has on Facebook is Cliff Richard Fans. So make sure to uh, follow that page and find out what's, what's happening. Well, what's happening is it's the end of the year. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you. This show will return in January with a special look back at the life of Brian Licorice Locking with our guest, his sister, Babs Wilson. And that'll be uh, in 30 some odd days or so. So a happy new year and here's to 2024.